Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt, and I'm a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist. I live on the seacoast of New Hampshire and work with clients in my virtual practice all over the world through private consultations and online nutrition and functional medicine programs. Functional medicine nutrition is all about diving deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. And that's exactly what I tackle in this podcast. All things health, food, and nutrition. Unpacking current research and almost a decade of clinical experience. I love to bring experts and thought leaders to the table so we can all learn together. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive in. Hello, friends. We are back with another show. Um, uh, about a week ago, maybe, I don't know, a weekish or so ago, depending on when this airs, uh, I posted something on Instagram that said, common sense over pop culture nutrition. And it was really in response to the frantic DMs, texts, emails that I got after people watched Game Changers on Netflix, which if you haven't heard of it, it's a documentary on plant-based eating. And my husband was actually the first person to tell me about it. He's like, you're going to need to get ahead of this. And I was like, nah, I've talked about this a lot. Every year there's a new vegan push. People are smarter than that. I don't need to worry about it. I was wrong. Um, I absolutely underestimated people's lack of faith in themselves. People were unleveled with this documentary. This entertainment film made them question everything. So I wrote a post and this is what it says. Everyone is so focused on consuming media health information that they opt out of their own common sense and disconnect from the messages their bodies are sending them. It becomes, what does the Instagram influencer or new Netflix doc tell me I should be eating instead of what makes my body feel good? I've spoken with so many folks who are eating a certain way and feeling great, regaining energy, digestion feels better, menstruating more regularly, but then they see an Instagram post or read a blog or watch a YouTube video or a Netflix doc and all of a sudden they're pulled out of self-trust and body autonomy and plunged into the pool of self-doubt and overwhelm. Why do we allow people in the media to hold more weight over our food choices than our own bodies? To me, this is a major systemic problem that needs to be looked at. We all need to find our own ways to trust our bodies. It's a must. Food information will always be changing. So you have to have a way to refocus, determine what is right for you in your physiology, and not be so rattled every time a new piece of pop culture nutrition comes out. We have to get to a place where we can trust our common sense over sensationalized food dogma so that we're not thrown off our access every time a new doc is released. I'm not writing this post as a way to shame or pass judgment on anyone who is freaking out after watching Game Changers, but instead as a way to soothe you, bring you back to your center, and remind you of some basic truths so you can make the best decision for yourself without the noise of pop culture nutrition. And for the record, I am not pro-meat necessarily, although I do think it's hard to sustain health on a long-term vegan diet without heavy supplementation. And you can listen to episode 39 for a more robust conversation on all of that. But I am pro-common sense and I am pro-self-trust. Now listen, I understand that saying just trust yourself isn't exactly comprehensive advice. It's kind of sloppy work, to be honest. It's the start of the discussion. It is not the full playbook. And anytime I hear that advice just being tossed out willy-nilly, just trust yourself, man. I always think of Janine Roth. I think it was her book, Woman, Food, and God, where she says telling someone, especially a woman, to trust themselves is like throwing them to the wolves. We've essentially been taught our whole lives that our desires, our feelings, our moods, our emotions, our bodies are wrong, that they're not to be trusted. So to be washed in this belief your entire life and then have somebody try to flip the script on you and say, nah, just trust yourself. 
that can be difficult. I really, really understand that. So what I wanted to do is provide some next steps. Like how do you actually build up self-trust as it relates to food and potentially even otherwise? So today I have Naomi Katz on the show to help us out with this. Naomi is a body image and self uh, self-trust coach. So she's the perfect person to talk us through this. She's in Asheville, North Carolina, home of uh, my former co-host, Kyle. She owns Happy Shapes Coaching, offering local and online programs designed to help women ditch diet culture and regain autonomy in how they see and treat their bodies. After starting her career as a personal trainer and nutrition coach, she realized that nobody gets comfortable in their skin by making changes on the outside. Boom. That's an important one. So now she helps women build healthy relationships with themselves from the inside out. Her coaching focuses on shifting the attention off of appearance to better cultivate true self-acceptance, self-trust, and confidence. She's currently training to be an intuitive eating lay facilitator so that she can help women apply these concepts to their relationship with food. So welcome to the show, Naomi. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Well, I would love for you to give us a little bit of more insight into your backstory. But one thing that jumped out at me, um, I mean, I've been following you on social media. I think we've been connected for maybe a couple of years now um, that you're actually going through an intuitive eating training. I think intuitive eating is gaining in popularity lately. Um, and a lot of folks are claiming that term for their business, but intuitive eating is actually a branded philosophy and practice. And so you're going through the training. So can you talk to us a little bit about, uh, maybe the difference of somebody just saying, Hey, I practice intuitive eating versus the actual intuitive eating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the training that I'm doing is the training that is uh, offered by the creators of the intuitive eating framework, um, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Rush. And um, it's like a four-step process uh, involving, you know, mentorship and group coaching and written tests and things along those lines um, to really make sure that we understand exactly how, and, and there's a specific framework. There's, you know, 10 specific steps or steps is really the wrong word because it's not so much like a one and then the other and then the other thing. It's more like it, they're actually principles because they sort of all coexist. Um, and it's sort of, so the training specifically walks us through how to put those principles into action, both for ourselves, because obviously practicing what we preach is really important, and for our clients. Um, I think it's important to learn the actual framework, because just saying, like, oh, I eat mindfully, or I, you know, eat what I want when I want, isn't really the same, especially when you look at it in the context of, um, recovery from diet culture, which is what most of us are dealing with when we get to the point where we finally turn our attention to, to, to intuitive eating. Um, it's also something that has become something of a fad lately. And so you see a lot of mentions of intuitive eating being sort of co-opted co by diet culture, where there's still some offer of weight loss that goes along with it. There's still almost rules. And sort of the whole point is that the only rule is you're listening to your own body. So um, the, uh, the certification offers two things. So I am training to be an intuitive eating lay facilitator and that's because I do not have a background as a dietitian or um, anything of that nature. Um, the other level of certification is a certified intuitive eating counselor. And when you see that, that means that you're talking about somebody who has a background as a therapist or a dietitian or, um, you know, something along those lines, because it means they're going to have that that next level of ability to coach you through some things that I certainly couldn't like eating disorder recovery, for instance. And I think that's so important because if somebody is 
trying to recover from an eating disorder or disordered eating, or like you said, just simply from diet culture. Mm -hmm. And they're looking for a way out to kind of hitch their wagon to somebody talking about intuitive eating, but actually practicing more diet culture can be super problematic. Yeah. I mean, and frankly, downright dangerous. So <laughs> that's a good yeah. point. Um, all right. So do you want to get into a little bit more about yourself? What I, what I really thought was also interesting about your backstory, it's like, okay, so you are, tr you are a personal trainer and like you're working with bodies and all of a sudden you're like, oh shit. <laughs> um, I'm trying to help people get comfortable there in their own skin and really seeing that like it's an inside out job, not an outside in job. And I always say that, all right, maybe I, I stole this from my mentor, so I can't claim it as my own, but clinical, pra <laughs> clinical practice is the best teacher because it's like you take all of these things that you learned in school, in your educational trainings, and then you apply them to human bodies and you're like, whoa. And I mean, I have a lot of, I'm sure I have a lot of yoga teachers that listen to the show too, even if you're not a practitioner. It's the same thing there. It's like you go through your 200 hour training and you're like, yeah, I got this. I know how to teach a yoga class. And then you actually get up in front of the room and start telling bodies what to do. And you're like, why aren't their bodies making the shapes I'm telling them to? And you have to like kind of forget all of your education and start to think critically and adapt and learn and evolve and all that kind of stuff. So it's interesting to hear that you you started, you know, you or you were in your, your um, you were doing your personal training and you're like, okay, so there's some things that might need to shift here. Yeah, I'm nodding so hard right now. <laughs> I am. Um, in fact, it's, it's funny. I actually started my journey even before I was a personal trainer. I was a Pilates instructor and I can distinctly remember when I was going through my training and I was practicing teaching that I was teaching somebody and I said, okay, now point your toe. And he looked at me like I had three heads <laughs> and like didn't know what that meant. And it was so eye opening to have to be like, oh, OK, so this is not how not everybody knows what I'm talking about when I say these things. And so I'll have to break this down in a different way. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Like practicing it is the way you learn it in so many instances. <laughs> All um, right, let's um let's get into the the self trust thing because it's like let's let's just dive into the the heart of the matter. You had said that you feel that the key to body acceptance is mm -hmm. self trust. Um, so can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, so um, I think the key to body acceptance is self acceptance, and that part of that is necessarily self trust. So I think that very often when we are feeling out of touch with our bodies or I'm sorry, when we're feeling out of touch with all the things in our lives and all the deeper levels of ourselves, because we live in a culture just swimming in diet culture, it's very, very easy. It's like the path of least resistance to put that discomfort with all the other stuff in our lives onto our bodies. Um, it's like, you know, if everybody's always telling you that your body is wrong, then if you're feeling like something is wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on it, the easiest thing to assume is that, oh, they're right. It's my body that's wrong. And if I fix that, then everything else will be right again. Um, and so I think that in order to cultivate body acceptance, it's really important to get to the point where we're really clear on who we are and what we want and align ourselves with our values and uh, get to a point where we can see that our bodies are actually not the problem. Like if we're going to be happy, changing our bodies isn't the thing that's going to do that. It's aligning everything else. And I think self-trust is a big, cultivating self-trust and being in a place where you trust yourself is absolutely imperative to aligning things with your values. Um, I also think that aligning things with your values is sort of imperative to building self-trust because it's really, really difficult to trust yourself in a situation that you don't want to be in in the first place. Um, if that makes sense. <laughs> that does make sense. 
You know, there are a lot of, this is, this came up for me while you were talking. Um, I was, I interviewed Erin Telford. She's a breathwork facilitator a couple of weeks ago. And one thing that we were talking about is this good vibes only culture that I just like, I can't. And then mm -hmm. yesterday I saw, <laughs> I saw on Instagram, you called it the cult of positivity. And I like spit water out of my mouth. Cause I'm like, that's so perfect. But <laughs> our, our, our culture doesn't really make space for any quote unquote negative emotions where like negative emotions equal bad. I should not feel these things. They've been like kind of programmed out of us, but it's the human experience to have this wide range of emotions, including the emotions that we consider bad, right? Like mm -hmm. sadness and anger. Um, and if we aren't allowing ourselves to experience those things or we're like, or if those things come up and we feel badly about them or we feel guilty or we feel wrong, then we're gonna have ways to, to kind of check out of that. We're gonna have ways to dampen that down. And some people go to booze, some people go to drugs, some people go to food, and some people go to body. I'm gonna work on my body. This is gonna be the thing. This is gonna be my distraction. So I actually don't have to feel the things that I'm feeling. And I don't have to actually look at the major problems in my life if I just focus on getting these 1200 calories a day into my body. And I've said this, I'm bazillion times and I'll say it again, I didn't develop eating disorders because I was like, oh, my body's bad. I developed eating disorders because I needed to control my life and somehow my life felt out of control. I didn't understand the emotions. I didn't know how to process them. And so I needed something to fixate on and something to control and food was a culturally acceptable thing to do that. My body was a you know, it's socially acceptable to work on my body. So I don't know, there's just like a lot there to unpack, but I think you bring up such a good point. It's like looking at the self as sort of a different than the body in some ways. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think you're, you're spot on. I think that I, I just, I'm going to continue to use the phrase, the cult of positivity <laughs> and diet culture are inextricably, inextricably linked. I think there, there are so much sides of the same coin, basically, where, and the goal of both of these things is to tell us that what we're feeling and what we're sensing and what our intuition is telling us is wrong and that there's some other way that we should be like some other standard that we should be living up to. Um, and these things just destroy self-trust <laughs> because, you know, you have those feelings for a reason. Drowning them out is just, I mean, it, it disconnects you from everything that you know you want and you need and you, you believe in and all of that. And you, you know, it's like this, the self-trust in this, like everybody wants to eat intuitively. Everybody wants to trust themselves. Like nobody's saying like, I don't want that. No, 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 no. But we, we can't, it doesn't just turn on in the kitchen. It's not like we just, you know, open our cupboard and you're like, I'm going to turn my self-trust on right now. Tell me what to eat. Like we have to apply this everywhere in our life across the board. If we want to bring this into the way that we approach food. Um, so with the body acceptance stuff, can you, can you speak a little bit to body neutrality, the concept of body neutrality? Because I think it's a big ask. I think people might get a little intimidated when we talk about body acceptance because a lot of us feel, I would go as far to say self-hatred toward our bodies, right? There's a lot of self-flagellation, a lot of self-judgment a lot of self-criticism when it comes to our physical form. And so to, to ask somebody to go from that all the way into, I love my body, it's a big ask and it's probably not gonna happen, but that's not really what body acceptance is. Right, and so I, I actually am a huge proponent for body neutrality or body acceptance. I, you'll almost never hear me catch me talking about loving your body. Not because I don't think it's possible, not because I never have experienced it or any of that, but because I think that it misses the point. I think that the whole, the goal really should be to make our bodies less important all around. 
So, you know, when we talk about body love, it's still putting the emphasis on how we feel about our bodies. And I think that ultimately the goal should be to have our bodies be more or less irrelevant to how we feel about ourselves. Um, so, and I think that that's really what body neutrality and body acceptance captures more accurately. Yeah. It's like that quote that like my body should be the least interesting thing about me. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think that we spend so, you know, the goal is I think to spend less time thinking about our bodies altogether. So if we're constantly trying to love our bodies, I don't really know that that's really any different from constantly putting the energy into trying to change our bodies. That energy, that um, all of that can be put into cultivating and changing and loving our lives or, you know, our careers, our relationships, our goals, like all of that stuff. whether it's about loving your body or changing your body, it's still taking your time and energy away from things that just should be so much more important. Oh my God. So true. Um, and I mean, I, I, that's how I recovered from 13 years with an eating disorder. It's like, I completely pivoted on my heels and I was like, okay, I'm going to stop looking at this one thing, this one thing in my life and open my eyes up to literally everything else. And Holy smokes, it just completely changed. Um, okay. So we're talking about body love. Well, what about compassion? You know, cause there's a difference between love and just being kinder to ourselves and more gentle to ourselves and more compassion. Um, why do you think it's important and how can we be more compassionate with ourselves as we try to recover from diet culture? Yeah. So I think that compassion is, is a, is a big is a big thing in terms of recovering from diet culture. And I think that part of the reason for that is diet culture is inherently anti-compassionate. <laughs> it's, you know, if this isn't working for you, it's your fault. Um, these bodies are wrong. It's, um, it's, it's just, you know, it's your problematic, you're a problem, fix this basically. And Uh, sort of sets us at odds both with ourselves and with our environments and all kinds of other things. Um, Compassion is, you know, it's like the polar opposite of that. It's understanding. It's forgiving ourselves for, you know, anything. (laughs) It's being able to look at our lives and, and say, you know, of course you weren't prioritizing losing X number of pounds or, uh, you know, looking X way because life is bigger than that and more important than that. And also you're not the problem. The system is the problem. The, the things that you're, that are being asked of you are the problem. It's, uh, being able to, so I think that a lot of times when we're trying to disconnect from diet culture, or at least like when we first become aware of the existence of diet culture, we, we have sort of two reactions. One of them is to deny the existence of it and dig further into it. And I think that that's largely like self-protective. It's, you know, I can't, like if you, if, if diet culture is the issue that we're saying it is, that, or that we're being told that it is, if all of that is true, then like, what have we spent our lives doing? And that's really, if, if all of that is true, then like we've been wasting our time and that can make us angry and we can dig further in because we have to just protect ourselves from that feeling. The other is to get like almost depressed about the fact that we've wasted so much time and to feel like we're too far behind, we'll never catch up, like we'll never get to where we want to be in terms of self-love and all of these other things. And that can also set us back in our ability to deep, deep, um, to opt out of diet culture. Compassion is forgiving ourselves for the fact that we were stuck in that in the first place. Um, and recognizing that everybody is at this point, basically, like you almost don't have a choice forgiving ourselves for that, not feeling the need to punish ourselves for that. Cause again, that punishment, that feeling like we're the problem is diet culture in action. Uh, yeah, all of that is so 
bang on. You know what's interesting? I have read, I've said the word interesting a lot and it's kind of annoying me. So <laughs> I'm going to apologize for lack of better word choice. But um, I read a study last week and it's not a new one. It was from 2013, but it looked at self-compassion and our inflammatory response. And those with those folks who were more kind and compassionate to themselves had a reduced interleukin-6 response, which is an inflammatory chemical. So isn't that awesome? Yeah, I mean, not to use the word again, but it's really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like it also makes sense because, you know, when you think about it, uh, you know, when not being compassionate to yourself, there's something to that where you're almost in this like fight or flight response with yourself. And being compassionate allows you to not do that. And then so you don't have the same hormonal responses that a fight or flight response would have. You're not like not being compassionate is essentially you're you're literally attacking yourself for whatever behaviors you're not being compassionate about. Well, so here's if I had if somebody was like, uh, you're going to get a book deal. What's your thesis? This would be it is that (laughs) is linking my eating disorder to my autoimmune disease because i think there is an absolute connection because of exactly what you just said self-attack i attacked myself with my words and my thoughts for the majority of my life so it is it any surprise that one day my body just started to follow suit you know autoimmune disease is literally self-attack your immune system attacks your own tissues your body doesn't just go haywire on a dime for no reason yeah my beliefs informed my biology and man these 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 it is not okay it's not okay that our culture kind of primes the pump for this It, it really fires me up and when you were one thing when you said when you said you're not the problem I felt my entire body just kind of like relax and calm down you know it's like yeah that because we don't hear that ever ever you're not the problem like what a reassuring and nourishing thought that so many of us need to hear yeah absolutely I I think that that's that's one of the biggest things that I think requires it's almost like deprogramming <laughs> is, it is right it's like again the you know cult of poly- positivity diet culture and deprogramming right it's um but you do you almost you have to you have to unlearn all this stuff and then relearn a whole new set of information now for some people that are trying to relearn this and maybe a little unsure um i mean Diet culture is very insidious. We're basically all baked into this casserole, so it can be hard to see when it's happening and where it's happening. Um, I was so pissed off a couple of years ago at the way somebody was choosing to market something that I wrote a blog post called, Is It a Diet or a Lifestyle Change? Because now (laughs) everyone's like, lifestyle change. I'm like, nope, starvation diet, still. Call it what you want, still a diet. Um, But can you maybe explain some ways to build awareness of diet culture programming and messaging like how do we how do we know when it's happening how do we uh, how do we catch it yeah so i think that you know it's important to realize that this messaging is everywhere <laughs> it's you know it's social media it's advertising it's books it's movies it's tv it's the posters at the gym it's the conversations at work it's just everywhere <laughs> and so um you know it's basically impossible to just opt out of it entirely it's just like you'd basically have to like go live under a rock somewhere <laughs> um i'm not above but- that yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that seems like it might be a, it might be worth it. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I think that building awareness of the messaging is really important because I think that the more aware you are of it, the more resilient to it you can be. You know, um, it's just it's a lot easier for it to like seep into your subconscious if you're not like actively noticing it. So I think that like one of the best first steps is literally to just like take a piece of paper and like write down all of the messages that you receive about your body in a given day. 
you know, um, include social media, TV, like books, magazines, friends and family, physical ads, and to make sure to include nonverbal messaging. So I think that's the stuff that messes with us possibly even more than like the, the outright, like explicit verbal messaging that we see. But, you know, so when I talk about nonverbal messaging, I'm talking about, you know, um, everybody on your on the TV, TV shows you watch have the same body. And, you know, by the same body, I mean that ideal body, right? Like that lightly toned, um, <laughs> thin, white, uh, you know, cisgender, heteronormative type of body, right? And if you are, you know, purchasing magazines that only shows this one body, if you're watching TV and movies that only show this one body, whether you like it or not, you're going to absorb that message that this is the body that you should have. And so I think that just taking that first step of like literally taking a piece of paper and writing all this down one day, you, it's sort of like, it's very eye-opening and almost shocking when you look at that list at the end of the day and realize, oh my God, I'm getting these messages all the time. Um, my, then, uh, oh, so sorry. I'm gonna jump in really quickly because yeah. I wanna also point out how young it starts because you're not, you don't have children, right? No, I do not. So my daughter turned five and this was like this summer right after she turned five and we were laying in bed one night and she said, just out of the clear blue sky, mommy, why do some people have perfect bodies? Perfect skinny bodies is what she said. Wow. And I was like, I like felt my soul like leave my body. <laughs> and I was like, come back, soul, yeah. I need you for this. It was <laughs> so, I was just completely like flabbergasted because obviously that's not messaging she's receiving inside the home and she's not really like outside the home that much but somewhere it seeped into her little brain that perfect it equals skinny body i mean how heartbreaking is that yeah but that's... to your point it's everywhere i mean we're just inundated with this yeah with these messages whether we're aware of them or not yeah, I mean, even children's books will show that same perfect skinny body, quote unquote. <laughs> and, you know, it's and children's TV shows. I can't remember what TV show it was, but I remember hearing somebody talk about how there's some very popular children's TV show where they uh, like actively make fun of fat bodies on this show. Oh, my God. And yeah, and like, <laughs> I I would love to say I was surprised and appalled, but I was just appalled because I'm not at all surprised by this at this point. Um, but yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why it's so important to be like actively aware of this stuff. And then, you know, of course, once you've built the awareness to start making choices about where you can cut it out of your life, you know, unfollowing people on social media, um, maybe even having conversations with friends and family about, you know, I don't want to talk about diets with you, or, you know, can you not make comments about your body around me, things like that. Um, you know, deciding whether you want to purchase that magazine or that book, or, or whether you want to go see that movie or that TV show. Um, and, you know, I think there's some self-trust in this as well, where, listen, trust me, I definitely watch TV shows that are guilty of this 100% because, you know, I still find them entertaining. And because I've built the awareness that I have, I don't find that the messaging affects my well-being as much as it would have if I had not built that awareness. And so part of this is, you know, building up the self-trust where you know, where do I have to cut out and where is it okay to just be, to just stick with the awareness? I had a little bit like a, of a campaign going where I'm like, call them out. If you see this oh, going yeah. on, call them out, call them out, bring them out, bring them out. Like I'm ready, yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Like you have to actively go out of your way to like, say this is not okay. No, I, and I had some people be like, yeah, but not everybody is as ballsy as you or not everybody has like the science background to like say, here's why this is a problem. And I was like, 
totally I get that but also you have power just because you exist and you have a voice and you can use that voice for whatever you want to do and I want to like really 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 make sure that people feel empowered like you can do this and if you can if you have like a, a trouble saying it out loud at the very least curate your own life you know I mean boss up cut people out of your social media feed unfollow them if it triggers you they have to go it's not necessarily anything wrong that they're doing but you gotta go into self-preservation you gotta protect your own neck man like it's nobody else's responsibility you gotta do this i am i have a zero tolerance part uh zero tolerance policy for before and after pictures if you post a before and after picture you are axed from my social media feeds all of them, personal, business, all of it. I can't have it, I cannot have that. So like create your own rules around that stuff. It's completely fine. Yeah, uh, say, I'm so sorry. There's like a huge truck going by yeah, my house Yeah, like right there's now. like Mack truck I central. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have I have the same policy for myself. Um, no, no before and after photos ever at all under any circumstances. <laughs> that's not, that's not acceptable to me. Um, and I, you know, that's where I, I think curating your own life, as you put it, which is an excellent way to phrase it, um, is exactly the thing. And, you know, it's true. Not everybody is up for confrontation. And I get that. Honestly, I totally. hate confrontation. <laughs> so, you know, when possible, I might send an email. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I do think it's important to call things out and so you know that's definitely something that I've done but I also have to balance that with the fact that I do suffer from anxiety and I don't love confrontation and so I you know have to be able to do things within what is available to me but you know in terms of my own mental resources and energy and stuff so emails I think are a great way to do that um, but also a hundred percent, like unfollow, hide, mute, like just cut that stuff out. Um, or like do some passive aggressive meme making, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever. Also that, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I, I really want to get into, this is, a, this is something that I struggle with sometimes, um, clinically speaking, what I sometimes notice is that, and not for everybody, this is, you know, like a small percentage of people, but as my clients begin to make positive shifts in their life, in their food choices, in their bodies, um, they start to feel better. Some of them gain weight, mm -hmm. not always, not all the time, but there's sometimes weight gain that needs to happen in order to gain health. And the immediate reaction tends to be a little bit of an emotional freak out. Um, we kind of lose sight of the fact that all of these benchmarkers for health are exceeding our expectations. Like my digestion's perfect. I'm pooping every day. I have so much energy. I'm happier. My headaches are gone. No more brain fog, but oh my God, I'm starting to gain weight what should I do? So there's this freak out, like a little bit of an unraveling that might happen with some folks. And I completely understand it. To your point, everything we've been talking about up until this point, you are like, we are baked into this, like, right? We have been steeped in this culture. It's a normal response to the culture that we've been brought up in. Uh-oh, I'm gaining weight. This is bad. This is bad. Abort. But I'm just like, I would love for people to put their health on a higher pedestal than their aesthetics. Um, so anyway, could you talk a little bit about this reaction and maybe some ways to start ditching the ideal body myth? Like I have women who are, are dying to get back to a place that they were, that they could only maintain through restriction and like came with like all of these health problems. They're like, but that's my ideal body. I'm like, it's not. If you had to the only way that you could maintain that is through severe food restriction, overtraining, and you are having all of these health issues. It's not your ideal body. Yeah. Um, the quote unquote ideal body is so problematic um, for 
I mean, just layers upon layers of reasons. <laughs> um, and, you know, I can totally understand how frustrating that can be for you um, from your position, especially where you're like, but I've helped you feel so much better. Why would you want to go away from that? But correction, um, I haven't like I I'm really kind of a stickler for this. They help to themselves because they do all the work. So it's not like an ego thing of like, but I got you here. It's like, yo, you've just put in work. You've you've like, you know, you've been an advocate for yourself. You've like busted your ass to regain your health. Have some pride in that. That's that's an amazing thing that not everybody has the ability to do. Like, you know, like, yeah, soak in that pride versus the self-flagellation absolutely and i'm actually i'm really glad that you you made that distinction that was a that was a slip of the tongue on my end <laughs> but but yeah 100 percent. i mean i'm that that makes it even more frustrating honestly is you've done all this work why would you want to undo that um but you know i think it's really important and i think this is one of the things that is helpful to recognize when people are sort of trying to unpack this is fat phobia is deeply, deeply ingrained in us, like deeply ingrained and internalized in us. And I think that it's really, really helpful to, you know, when we're going through a change like that, to educate ourselves on what fat phobia and weight stigma are and the kinds of uh, social, the kind of social impact those things have on people who do live in larger bodies. Um, because again, it's that building awareness. I think it's really, really hard to combat something until you've done the work to be truly aware of it. Um, and that includes within your own headspace, within your own, you know, body image and and stuff. And obviously, you know, weight stigma and fat phobia on a social level are not the same as body image. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't have an effect on our personal body image because it totally does. Um, and so some of that, I think, is just I think we have to do the work to educate ourselves on that. But I think it's also important to, to sort of go back to the beginning, to the, like the roots of like, why is this the ideal? Like, where did you learn that this was the ideal? How has that been reinforced for you? Like, what about it makes it ideal for you? Um, so I, I think there's some unpacking to do there as well. And, you know, and then again, I think the one of the biggest things that we can do is cultivate what we see in the world. So, you know, diversifying our social media feeds. If our social media feed is nothing but that quote unquote ideal body, um, or even in terms of if it's only, even if people aren't posting pictures, but if the only voices you're listening to are coming from that quote unquote ideal body, then maybe it's time to look outside that and see, like expose ourselves to bodies that don't fit that description and realize that, hey, this is, there's beauty here and there's nothing like, there's nothing that's not ideal about this other body or that other body. Um, and just get more comfortable with the idea that bodies are supposed to be diverse. I mean, like, like size diversity is a thing. <laughs> it's like a natural thing that happens in nature. You know, we look at different sizes of dogs and we don't think that one's better than the other. Or like vegetables, like, you know, when you plant vegetables and you have this one zucchini that's like gigantic and this one zucchini that's basically like a gherkin, like that, that's normal. I know I went like pickles and zucchinis there, but <laughs> but like it's normal to have a range of sizes in nature. Um, and so we need to expose ourselves to that same range of sizes in humanity. And that, you know, I think that's a really good first step to take along with educating ourselves about how we've internalized this ideal in the first place. And that might require getting some additional support too. You know, like you don't have to go it alone. If you find yourself in that position, it, it, you know, it might make sense to hire somebody 
like an intuitive eating coach or practitioner to, to work you through some of that stuff or a therapist that's, you know, trained in this, like somebody that can, that can hold your hand through the process. That might be really a smart step. Absolutely. Cause it's a lot to unpack and it digs up some, some deep things for us. So I, yeah, I think that I mean, this is why I coach when I coach, and it's one of the reasons why I am so excited about the intuitive eating certification is because all of this is wrapped into that because like our, our ideas about what our bodies should look like and, um, and all of that is very much wrapped up in whether or not we can do things like listen to our hunger cues and eat intuitively. <laughs> so, all right, well, that's a perfect segue to move into the like actual food stuff. So if somebody's listening and they're like, all right, I really want to start to implement some intuitive eating principles. I want to cultivate that self-trust. So when I, when the next Netflix documentary comes out, you know, it's like this time it was vegan. So the next one's going to be like carnivore diet. Why it's so great. Like, so I can be ready and I can say, I'm not going to pay attention to the next James Cameron film. I'm going to instead pay attention to what my body needs, what makes me feel good. So can you give us some, like, some pro tips on like the playbook of how to do this? Yeah. So honestly, one of my favorite tips in terms of like how to start cultivating self-trust is uh, to look at your life and see where you are already trusting yourself. Because the truth is that all of us have some, have at least one area where we are already following our instincts and trusting ourselves. Maybe it's, you know, our abilities as a parent, or maybe it's in our jobs or, you know, who knows? Uh, for me, I think a big thing was I had started weight training, like lifting weights prior to starting to deconstruct my diet mentality and starting to build self-trust and like when you know you're lifting something heavy you basically have to trust yourself to be able to get it back up or you know to safely move that weight and you learn to listen to your body about what it can and can't do in that context and so once you find that place sort of starting to pay attention to what that feels like like what does it feel like when you trust yourself what does it feel like when you second guess yourself and how can you create those same feelings when it comes to food? Um, so uh, I, I read and listen to a lot of Jill Coleman's work, um, who uh, is a like fitness and mindset expert, if, in case you're not familiar. Um, and she uh, talks a lot about how um, there are basically two kinds of people when it comes to trust people who trust and then wait to see if they're right and people who look for proof before they trust um i am def i definitely think that most of us are the latter when it comes to trusting ourselves so recognizing areas where we already trust ourselves gives us the proof that we need to know that we can trust ourselves even further and in even more areas that is awesome. And it makes so much sense too. Um, one of the, like the things, like one of my like core wounds, I guess, is like not believing that I, w I was capable for a very long time. And once I realized that I was like, all right, I got to look to look for evidence to the contrary. So I can like prove to myself that I'm actually a capable human being. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I think it, it also works in, in, the other direction. So when you think about like, you know, when I say diet culture destroys self-trust, what I'm kind of talking about there is the idea that we are constantly told that we can't trust our, our actual biological signals, things like hunger and stuff. And, you know, that we can't trust ourselves and how we do things as simply as eating and moving our body ultimately translates into not trusting ourselves in so many other areas of our lives. And I think it works the same way. Again, this is something that I love about intuitive eating is as you rebuild your trust in um, 
in, in yourself and other areas that can translate into food. Um, for that matter, as you rebuild your trust in food, <laughs> in, your, in yourself around food, that also translates into other areas. Like none of this is just isolated to one area of our lives. When I was first picking my way through the intuitive eating book many, many moons ago, I remember feeling really scared because it, it flew in the face of everything that I had done up until that point. I had created so many rules for myself and yes, no's for myself mm -hmm. that to remove that restriction felt scary and unsafe. Yeah. And, and I think that's really, really, that's really common. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so important when you're going through that journey to seek guidance from somebody who is qualified to help you with that journey. I think that's why, you know, looking for people who have done the certification is so important um, as opposed to somebody who, um, you know, Christy Harrison talks a lot about how people turn intuitive eating into the hunger and fullness diet. And, you know, it's so easy to see how that happens. And that's why I think it's very important to have guidance when necessary and to make sure that that guidance is coming from somebody qualified to provide it. What do you mean the hunger and fullness diet? So again, this is not my, this is something that I, um, that, that I heard on Chrissy Harrison's food psych podcast. Um, and she talks about this a lot where, so because, um, so one of the principles of intuitive eating is honor your hunger and, uh, another one is feel your fullness. And so I think a lot of people who are still looking at intuitive eating through a diet culture lens treat this like it means you should never, ever eat unless you're hungry and you should never, never eat past fullness. Mm. And while obviously like, yes, the idea is to eat when you're hungry and to eat to satisfaction and fullness instead of beyond. The reality is that sometimes you're going to eat when you're not hungry because of timing or any number of other reasons. And sometimes you're going to eat past fullness again, for any number of reasons and just, and making it the hunger and fullness diet basically just means you're still following rules put on you by outside factors, which is sort of defeats the whole purpose of intuitive eating. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I would, I would caution people to kind of be on the lookout for that too. If you are looking to adopt more self-trust and more intuitive eating and mindful eating, be on the lookout for people who are just trying to further perpetuate diet culture messaging. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that one of the things that you can really tell that like can really help you distinguish is that intuitive eating, like anybody who's, who really knows what they're doing with intuitive eating is never going to give you rules. <laughs> like, because the whole point is that their intuitive eating doesn't really have rules. It has principles. Obviously, there are best practices and guidance and things like that. But it's it's all about deciding and learning for yourself what you need and how to provide that for yourself. That makes a lot of sense. Now, we, uh, I'm a functional medicine nutritionist and functional medicine loves themselves a good elimination diet, right? Yeah. Like yeah. eliminate all of the foods and listen, there's, there's therapeutic purposes. There's a lot of merit to it. And I, I've talked about this a bunch on the show, so I won't belabor the point. Um, but what I will say is this, this question comes up quite a bit. How do you marry intuitive eating principles with, um, functional medicine principles like if there it truly is a food sensitivity and a food food allergy and I feel like sometimes people throw the baby out with the bathwater a little bit or what am I trying to say 
like they're like intuitive eating is just like eating Twinkies, you know, like it's like, <laughs> it's not stop trying to make everything so goddamn black and white all the time. It, yeah. you know, you can still, I would say that I am an intuitive eater through and through and there's a laundry list of foods that I don't eat because they flare my autoimmune disease. Like I think both can coexist. Mm -hmm. Um, and I will say that as a practitioner, how, and I, I'm very fortunate that I, I have the background that I have with restrictive eating and I can look at things through that lens. And I often do because there's just so much restrictive eating with people. Um, but you know, we also have tools for that. And so I, I don't really do a whole lot of food sensitivity testing in my practice because I, I just don't find it necessary. But for somebody coming to me with a history of restriction and a laundry list or somebody that's trying to heal and recover from diet culture, they also have a laundry list of symptoms. Like sometimes just getting the clinical data can reduce some of the food anxiety too. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's actually starting to be some some data showing that like that food anxiety can sometimes mimic the symptoms of sensitivities to foods. And so I'm sure that eliminating some of those things can actually help also eliminate some of the, like eliminating some of that anxiety, I bet really helps with eliminating the symptoms as well. 100%. And I have to just echo, like say that one more time because it's such an important point. And I really want my listeners to hear that food fear and food anxiety can mimic food sensitivities. So you're so anxious about consuming the food. Is it eggs? Is it popcorn? I don't know. And then you eat and your body is in such a stress state that you actually get symptoms like you would if it was a true food allergy. So thank you for bringing that up because we actually haven't discussed that on the show yet. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> I uh, it's And I think that that's where these things do marry with intuitive eating pretty well, actually, because I think, you know, it's the very last principle is gentle nutrition and honoring, like it's actually honor your health with gentle nutrition. And the idea basically is, and let me just say that one of my biggest pet peeves is when I talk about intuitive eating, um, like on my social media and I get people in my comments like, oh, so people should just eat whatever they want all the time. Like, yeah, just, they'll just eat donuts all the time. And like, first of all, if that's what they want to do, that's their business and fine. <laughs> um, but secondly, that's not what we're talking about. Like we're talking about, you know, intuitive eating is about making food choices that make you feel good and that there's a lot of aspects to feeling good. Like, yes, there's emotionally feeling good and there's some level of comfort and there's, you know, taste satisfaction and things like that. But there's also like physically feeling good. <laughs> so, you know, most of us aren't going to eat far past fullness on a regular basis if we're trying to practice intuitive eating, not because it's a rule, but because it doesn't feel good. You know, if we're allergic to something, we're not going to eat it because it doesn't make us feel good, not because it's a rule that we shouldn't eat it. And so self-trust and like listening to our own bodies and our own body signals are still very much in play there. Absolutely. Um, and I was just thinking too, um, about another reason why I would advocate for working with somebody who has gone through the process that Naomi has gone through with the training is because you know they've gone through the process. Right. Like you were saying, like yeah. we have to be applying these principles to ourselves in order to teach them or convey them to other people. And I, I, I have just seen the dark underbelly of the nutrition world. And there are a lot of people claiming to be in the intuitive eating and quite frankly, even the eating disorder space who are struggling with their own disordered eating. And that is, to use your phrase, Naomi, quite dangerous. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a benefit to people, you know, like you or like I, who have struggled with our own issues and have 
um, have dealt with them. And that doesn't mean that they never pop up, but it means that we're aware of them and we've dealt and we're dealing with them, that they're not coloring our ability to interact with clients. Um, just, you know, it's, it's not that somebody who's coaching should never have dealt with their own issues, but they need, they need to have dealt with them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. We are coming up on an hour and it's been a really great, this hour went by so quickly. It's been an awesome yeah. conversation. Um, I would love for folks to continue the dialogue with you. So can you tell everybody where to find you? I know you hang out on Instagram quite a bit. Yeah, thank you for that. I um I do. <laughs> Instagram is probably the be the best place to connect with me, and that's um I am at Happy Shapes Naomi, um but I am also on Facebook as Happy Shapes Coaching, and um all my programs and my mailing list and my blog and everything are my website, which is happyshapes.co. And I'll be sure to put that in the show notes. And you have some exciting news because coming up in 2020, you are going to be taking on some beta clients, correct? Yeah. So uh, uh, January 2020, um, I would like to offer an option to all the nonsense New Year's <laughs> um, diet plans that are always out there. And so that's when I am planning to start taking um, a handful of beta one-on-one -on -one intuitive eating coaching clients. So um, if anybody is interested in that, I would suggest, you know, making sure to follow me or get on the mailing list. And I will uh, be keeping people posted with exactly when that will start. Okay. Awesome. Naomi, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful talking with you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the functional nutrition podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you.